Welcome back, Total Podcast listeners. We're excited to bring you the second episode. And first of all, thanks so much for the great feedback and the positive re- response we got after the first episode. That really motivates us to keep going, and we hope you enjoy tonight as much as the one before. So the topic tonight will be mostly the Ryokano match. That despite the pretty convincing scoreline, I think many people will say that the match is not exactly representative of the 5-2. So to get right into it, we're going to be speaking to our Rido Aldo, who covered the match for us and wrote the review on the website. Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point, and, uh, Enrique. The, the scoreline, you know, it, it definitely leaves a, a lot of room uh, for interpretation. You know, uh, Paco Hemes, uh, Rayo Vallecano's coach, uh, you know, he's kind of a cult figure in Spain, very um, very peculiar, very particular philosophy, and, you know, he's known for having this all-out attacking, very high defensive line, uh, intense pressing, and... Um, you know, he's, he's, uh, the way that he approaches the game is um, very uh, very attack-minded. And so we definitely saw that, um, you know, immediately right right from the beginning of the game. And, and you know, Barca had two clear chances, you know, one-on-ones with uh, Tonio, their, their goalie. Um, and, you know, even despite that, they fell behind early. So I think um, immediately we saw that this was a game defined by Paco Jemez's approach. Um, and then after that, you know, we'll get into talking a little bit more about Neymar and, and his huge role. And I, I'd also like to point out uh, Sergio Roberto's, um, you know, looking very, very comfortable again in left midfield. Um, you know, obviously he'd be playing at right back, but he was able to kind of slot in there. So, um, yeah, overall, very exciting game. You, you definitely would expect that, seeing that Paco Jemez is the one that's uh, coming into the Camino. Definitely, although Paco Jemez is, of course, a big story. And uh, I'm not sure how accurate the quote is that we have on our cartoon on our website where he says that he acknowledges his approach being suicidal, but that he prefers to die than this than to kill people with boredom. And I personally am a, 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 also a big fan of Paco Jemez. And there was a poll apparently in one of the Spanish dailies that he would be the most favored manager to take over from the national team, from Vicente del Bosque, which I thought was interesting. And I think probably all of us would say that his approach is commendable. No, yeah, I think I think that, um, that you know the fact that he was he's linked at a lot of different places. He was even linked at Barca, and um, you know even somewhat loose rumors. But he, um, you know, he's definitely, you know, some will consider him naive or suicidal, and they'll say, you know, like when you get that lead, you should you should go and protect it. But at the same time, this is you know this is the way he understands the game, and this is his approach, and I think. A lot of coulés sort of have mixed feelings about a game like, like the one on Saturday because they they realize that this is someone who's you know so brave and you know just really 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 intent on playing um, an attacking brand of, of football. So um, I think there's a lot of respect there from from uh, from Barcelona fans. Hadi, uh, you're also an admirer of Paco Jiménez, right? Uh, yeah, that's true. Um, I think that uh, having the chance to see him with a with a better squad, and you know, Rayo is a very modest team, so perhaps the chance to see him with the, the Spanish national team or or a more capable club would give us more uh, a better look at what he intends to do. Perhaps with better players and so on, uh, he could cement his idea more. 
and so on. We could see better, even better shows. I mean, what we've seen from Rio so far is really good to a team of their standard. And I have great admiration to what he's been doing so far. Yes, definitely. And I think the, one of the, the match commentators brought a pretty very good point about Paco Hemen is basically playing the averages and that if he plays this style more often than not in La Liga, he's going to win enough games to keep his team safe, which is, which is his mandate. No one is expecting him to go out and beat Barca at the Camp Nou. So I actually applaud the, the approach in the sense that his team know what they're going to do each and every week, no matter against who. And I think that adds a lot of consistency, and that's the reason we find Rio every year always being a difficult team to play against for most La Liga sides. And even though Barca traditionally do very well against them, I remember many games where they give Real Madrid a really good run for their money. But bringing it back to Barca, um, the star of the show last night was, of course, uh, Neymar doing his best impersonation of Silento out there, doing his whipping and his nae <laughs> all over the place. Um, but, I mean, I think all of us are all Neymar fans here. I think last year we already saw how great of a player he is and how lucky we are to have him in the side and how he's really picking up the slack with Messi being out. Yeah, I think that's, that's definitely right. It's, I mean, he's an extraordinary player and seems to really be enjoying the freedom. This isn't the first time we've seen that. We saw this back in the... 2013-14 season with Tata Martino, where Neymar really shone in a central role, and now we're seeing it again. It, but it's it's a little more collaborative. It's not that he's trying to do everything by himself, though he did manage to win several penalties single-handedly. Yeah, that's, a, of course, a very true point. How we're seeing Neymar much more in the middle and ha having Jordi Alba really providing the width on that left-hand side. And what's kind of scary about Neymar is he can actually become an even better player. There's still moments where he hangs on to the ball a little bit too long and maybe doesn't pass it when he should, but with a bit of time and maturity and he starts making those decisions, the even, even more right decisions than he's making already, yeah, we're just going to see a player blossom and go from strength to strength. Yeah, I'd like to jump in. I'd want to um, add to this what, uh, what Eric was saying. I think that the, the way you put it was... Um, you know, it's perfectly stated. You said that he's enjoying the freedom. Um, you know, he's obviously had to step up in Messi's absence. And in doing so, I think we're seeing a very um, Brazilian-style um, way of playing. You know, the that touch that he did on that cross-field uh, cross pass, you know, the way he controlled that ball, um, you know, that, that sort of um, happiness and, enjoy, and just a general way of, of enjoying it. Um, you can really see that in the way he's um, putting the team on his back and the way he's kind of growing into this role. So I definitely um, wanted to add to that and say that, yeah, you, that you're seeing, um, you know, the, of, of Neymar that's going back to his roots in a way. Now that we've all gushed enough about Neymar and his poker abilities, let's move on to everybody's new favorite Blaugrana hero, Mr. Sergi Roberto. Uh, Hadi, you've watched Sergio Roberto for a long time in the youth system, so you must be very, very much enjoying his success. Um, yeah, that's very true. With uh, Sergio Roberto, uh, Roberto, we've been we've been seeing uh, this season uh, stints of of what he is really capable of doing. 
um, this this fight he's been showing um, the real material he's made of. And uh, yesterday's game in his true position, his natural position in midfield was uh, a great showing, uh, I must say. Eric, you have something to add yes. about Sergi Roberto? Yeah, I think he... I mean, he is sort of a living example of what playing time and confidence does for a player. As Hadi sort of alluded, when he was in the youth system, he was this really well, this really, when he, reset. When he was in the youth system, he was this really promising midfielder, very dynamic, very creative. But since then, since transitioning to the first team, he became a little bit safer a little bit more conservative, and there were a lot of people, including me, who didn't think he really had a future as a creative midfielder at Barca. He, he played well as a pivot last season, and this season has been a revelation at right back. And I was thinking even that we should keep him at right back, and maybe Danny Alves should be given a turn in midfield. But it's amazing, back in midfield, Roberto, just simply by virtue of having the confidence and the time while playing at right back, has looked a completely different player. The He's making great runs, he's charging, he's pressing well. He had that beautiful key pass for Rakitic. It's really, it's really an impressive example of how youth play, how delicate a situation that can be. Absolutely, and that pass to Rakitic is very much evidence of his, his upbringing in La Masia, about the awareness of the field and where everyone is and having his head up, head up and making that first-time pass across the field to a wide-open Rakitic. But I think, Eric, he pointed... The two words that were important there were his confidence and time. And I think those are both a result of patience and how there's been patience when Luis Enrique is the manager to give him time to adjust to the step-up because moving up from the B team to the first team, it's not only an issue of a higher level of football. There's a lot of psychological aspects to it's about him finding his place in this group of world superstars and that very much comes down to his confidence and how he feels being there and you can see now there seems to be a calm in his demeanor and that he seems to feel now like he belongs there yeah i mean i, I think that's that's a good way of putting it he, he does look a lot more comfortable and he's even mentioned um you know in some of the press um comments he he said that you know the the fact that he's been able to get these um these minutes at right back has done wonders for him even at left mid and this was i think one of the first um really convincing per- performances from Sergio Roberto in midfield um you know in recent memory and you know this is you know a type of uh growth that i think you know a lot of people probably didn't expect but Seeing his, you know, like you said, a patient, his patience, um, he really has all the qualities that they need to succeed. And, you know, again, I think he does look more comfortable in this sort of box-to-box role. I'm not seeing um, as much creativity there yet. I think he, he, he may have it, but I think he does seem more comfortable in this more transition-based attack than an attack in which they're trying to pick out passes and, uh, break down a defense that's sitting deep. Um, I just have a small comment with regards to the creativity matter. Um, if we observe last night's game well and we look at look back at his previous performances this season, I think last uh, last night's game was a bit of a level up in terms of creativity from Sergi. Maybe because it's he's been playing he played in midfield yesterday, but I think. Uh, Overall, the way he, he picked his passes, it wasn't the, the usual very safe Sergio Roberto. It was 
a level up in the creativity and a bit more of risk taking. I think also the opponent plays a big role in that. Ryo, because of their distinct style and the enormous space they leave, make play make Barca players look good. We discussed that previously, but also that counterattacking momentum really lends itself to players like Sergio Roberto and players like Neymar and Suarez. And we have goals straight from a goal kick to Bravo to Suarez to Neymar, and then there's a goal. So I think there's a part of me that also wants to reserve judgment that these, especially with Neymar and Sergio Roberto, that this, these are the kind of opponents they thrive against and against a more packed defense. It'd be interesting to see what happens. Yeah, I think... Um... Maybe creativity was the wrong word to use. I, I, I guess what I mean is the combinational play. I think in uh, yesterday's performance, we saw a lot of dribbling, a lot of darting runs forward. And like you mentioned, Eric, that's definitely because of the space that Paco Jemez's approach um, leaves Barcelona's players, especially someone like Neymar, who's able to attack so well in transition. Um, but yeah, with, with Sergio Roberto specifically, we, we did see um, more a more confident player just because I think this type of game might suit him better. I would agree that we would have to probably see where Sergio Roberto is at the end of the year. And of course, like most, like Barca in general, it's going to be how he performs in the big games against the big teams. And that's where really we're going to see how far he's come along since last season and, and where maybe we can project him to go in the future. Which brings us to another one of the La Masia youngsters, uh, Sandro Ramirez, who again got a, a chance in the starting front three and would have to say he disappointed once again. Even though I'm going to say before we get to some of the other guys, I think Sandro did a lot of other good stuff, a lot of Pedro stuff, a lot of chasing down, a lot of work off the ball. But at the end of the day, his big, big chance in the game, similar to the game against Bayer Leverkusen, he, he fluffed it. Well, this time he fluffed it far worse than against the Germans. So, and we could also see when he went off onto the bench how frustrated he, and angry he was, which is probably a good thing seeing how, how personally he takes it and how aware he is of the fact that he's maybe letting this chance run through his fingers. Um, Hadi, once again, you've seen Sandro for a long time, so you think this is an issue about confidence and maybe a little bit of anxiety and trying too hard, or are we going to see the club perhaps start losing faith in the player? Um, it could be, yeah, I think so, but um, I think it's mainly a confidence issue, as you said. You know, he's a, he's a forward. Uh, he's a striker mainly. They live off goals. No matter what he does, no matter how, how much he runs, how much work he puts, all the pressing he does, at the end of the day, we're gonna. most people are just going to look at that goal tally and say, well, he had so much minutes, he um, he didn't score any goals or he got very few goals. And uh, and that will be uh, the, primary, the primary thing when you when they look um, and review at the end of the season or, or we're halfway through uh, January. And I think... Uh, um, there, uh, there are rumors about interest from uh, Tottenham mostly with regards to perhaps getting a loan or a buy with a buyback option on Sandro. I think that that could be a good thing if we can guarantee the minutes, sort of like with uh, Halilovic. But um, I think it, it's a confidence and consistency issue most of all. If he could get a few goals, maybe that would boost everything up. He would get back to what he, what we know him to be. 
Where would he even play at Tottenham? Uh, I'm not really... Uh, I haven't been really watching the EPL this year, so I have no idea if he could find the minutes, but I don't think it would be the ideal place to, to go. I also think um, he would struggle to find minutes at Tottenham, even though Pochettino is a guy who's showing that he gives youth a chance. And one other factor is I think the, the positional aspect is really important, what position Sandro is playing. And you, I, you could see that really clearly when he, in that big chance he missed, he was cutting in from the right onto his left foot, which is something he's just not comfortable doing. He's either a natural nine playing in Suarez's position, or he's more comfortable cutting in from the left, which is what he did at Barca B a lot. Um, which is Neymar's position. That's unfortunate. Clearly, you have to adapt to the two superstars in your team. But I think that that particular miss highlighted that discomfort. Um, and maybe that position is more suited to Munir or to Rafinha. That's certainly a good point, though you would hope that in training he'd be doing a bit of practicing of cutting in on the right and trying to finish with his left. All right, guys, let's transition to a other section of the field. We've talked about the stars in the midfield and up front, but once again, the team conceded goals. They conceded the opening goal, and one of the questions we got from our listeners was, once again, what's going on with the defense? Why are we leaking so many goals compared to last year when we were this resolute wall and we have pretty much the same personnel? So, Aldo, do you have an idea of why this is happening in the season in general as well as the game against Rio? Yeah, I think um, a lot of it are, is the, the general fitness levels and just that mental sharpness. But I think it, it is a question of, of um, individual form. I mean, last season, as we know, the team was able to defend a lot more uh, convincingly. And I think uh, PK, especially uh, last night, did not perform very well. Um, and I think that the, the biggest issue is they're, they're not able to survive in games where they have less control because their fitness levels are not at the levels they were last season. I agree. And I think PK has a kind of Messi-esque effect when he's playing well and that he elevates the rest of the team. And so when he's been struggling, even if he's not individually making glaring errors, which he certainly made a couple against Rio, when he's just not at that sharpness or not coordinating the back line, Mathieu is certainly not going to be that leader and Mascherano wasn't on the field. And so I think there's a little bit of aimlessness, especially on that PK Alves side. Alves can be amazing, but needs that sharpness, needs that discipline. Um, also, it definitely needs that stamina. He got beat on a run to the near post for the first goal. And you got to think that just last year, that wouldn't happen. That wouldn't be mentally and physically. They're just so much sharper. I suppose it's always difficult to talk about an issue like this because while it's true that Dani Alves was the man beat out at the far post on the opening goal, you could also say that Sergi, uh, Sergio Busquets deserves a lot of the blame too because he pretty much ball-watched and went forward and left Bebe completely open to swing in that cross. Uh, it's interesting to note that both goals were similar in the sense that they were balls across the box. And I think that's something we've struggled with this season in general. So is that something that we have to is that something that the center backs are are needing to clean up or is it something maybe Claudio Bravo needs to be more aware of and anticipate coming in? Um there there's another issue with the with if we look back at the goals from yesterday they both came in from a side um and uh, there was uh, little or or no pressing from the midfield. 
And that should also be a concern uh, if they if the forwards and the ball could get so far forward at ease and uh, and scoring and sending in these low crosses which which are uh, they, which are confusing for the keeper um, is also a, a matter of this entire pressing from the team and the shape of the team when they have to defend. I definitely agree with that. I think it's you can't really blame Bravo on the on that. Those low crosses are really a nightmare. I think that's also kind of a mentality issue. If you if Barca were a team that was comfortable sort of depend, defending compact in the middle and having and letting seating the wings to their opponents and letting them cross in, that would be one thing. But we're not, and so in order to deal with that, there has to be pressing. There has to be the right back or a winger or a midfielder getting out wide and closing down those opportunities before they can come in. And so I think Hadi's exactly right. Like this is how Barca defends proactively rather than reactively. And I think that's what's been lacking a little bit. Um if I may add another thing. Um we could uh, we also know Barca to be a team that defends with the ball. You defend with the ball, you keep the possession and and all none of those details about uh, about the way Barca defends. Yesterday we lost the possession battle, and that could also be a detrimental factor with regards to the bad defending we saw. Yeah, exactly. I think it is this um, lack of control um, in midfield. I mean, we saw it last season as well, but uh, this season especially, the lack of control in midfield is um, leaving defenders in difficult positions. Um, like like has been mentioned, they're not comfortable um, defending uh, in a low block, you know, the, the in a compact defense deep deep um, near their own goal. So, you know, they don't want to have to be um, facing uh, these crosses from from the wings. And and yet, it it all of course is, is connected. This this um, this lack of, of control is is something that Luis Enrique has never wanted. We're you know one and a half years into into his um, time in charge, and this is an aspect that he has. Um, no problem uh, giving up. He was completely fine giving up possession to to Rayo, and that's my problem. Is if it's a possession, that may be one thing, but the lack of control and the lack of being able to um, be in charge of your own fate—that's that's something that that could be worrisome. But then again, this is um, looking similar to where we were last season at this stage. I think the lack of control is a very astute point, and I think that's something we're all seeing. And I wrote down during the match that I think it's it's quite exhausting being a Barca midfielder this day because instead of creating the play, you're always chasing a play. They're always chasing the transition, whether it's forward or back, forward and back nonstop. And I think that must be, of course, a very physically exhausting role, but also a mentally exhausting role for the midfielders. But seeing that... We know that Luis Enrique is a manager who has a less focus on control. Why is it that we're seeing the results of a lack of control this year becoming much more negative than we saw last year? Yeah, I'll jump in there. I think I think that's like as we mentioned before, this is a uh, a fitness issue. I think fitness um, last year was able to sustain this this system, and um, you know another thing is individual form and injuries. Um, and so I think that's why we're seeing right now that, um, you know, the, the whole team, you know, you defend as a team, we, we often point to the defense. Um, and, yeah, again, this game specifically, we saw how uh, Paco Jemez, his approach sort of defined the game. They were able to 
pressed high up there. They had a high offensive, a high defensive line that caught Suarez offsides plenty of times in the second half. So we saw that they were the ones um, dictating the the way the game was played. So I, I think that those are the the biggest two two things are you know fitness levels and and individual form. I'm going to bring up a question then to you guys about the center back position because last night I thought Alba was very good. I thought Dani Alba was just fine, but it was Pique and Mathieu who both didn't look great. And I thought Mathieu again was a, put on a pretty poor show in some aspects, but in some aspects he was good. He's a bit of a double-edged sword in the sense that you love his ability to, to recover a dangerous situation with his pace, but we saw yesterday that three times he got caught with just terrible positioning that let the opponent have a chance, or there was one of the offsides of Ryo wrongly called that would have created another chance. And what I'm getting to here is, at what point does the rotation of the center back start hurting Barca? Because I've always thought that that is the position of the field where you want the two guys to have the most familiarity with one another because how they work is less instinctual and more instructional. So at what point do you think we should be more... Or let me ask it another way. Do you think we should be more consistent with who we play in the middle and who would you be your favorite two in the middle going forward? I'll take that. I think... I think that there is it's it's all about kind of stability in the team at at large. So last season there wasn't a problem with there was a lot of rotation of the center backs, but that wasn't really a problem because there was a stable system and the midfield was consistent and the front three were consistent and you have right now we're missing Messi and Iniesta who are two key pivotal players to this team. And so the rest of the team feels a little bit in disarray as a result. So maybe maybe you're right that maybe now it is more important to to maintain some stability with the center backs, but I don't think it's, it's sort of a it's not an issue that you can really look at in isolation. But I definitely think that it could be important, especially having some very authoritative players. Personally, against Bate, I would like to see Vermalen and Mascherano. Anyone else want to jump in on that? Um, I'm not sure if, if you guys would agree, but I would also like to see Bartra given some consistency or maybe just a few chances at least. Um, his speed and his daring could also be really helpful, especially in games like yesterday's. Yeah, I guess I'll agree with Eric that I think um, Mascherano and um, Vermalen would be a good shout for the game against Bate. And just one other small thing I'd like to point out. I'd I don't think that the rotation's a problem. Like I said, um, the, the fitness levels being such a big issue and such an important part of, of Luis Enrique's team, I think that the rotation is, might, might actually be a good thing. Even though it might lead to less familiarity, they're getting rest. And I think that right now you're seeing a very fatigued team, and that's definitely a reason why they're, that, um, you know, that we're having these defensive issues. All right, let's, so let's, let's wrap up on the Rio match here that ended 5-2, but it could have easily finished with a much more numerically impressive scoreline, even though I don't think the margin would have been pretty different. I think something like a 7-4 would have been just fine. But I think let's just end this with a bit of an analysis of the minutes 45 to 68 in the second half where Rio got a huge amount of chances and Barca didn't create very many either. Does anyone have a specific 
opinion of why that section of the game went so poorly for Barca? Yeah, I think Paco Jimenez's team comes out hard in the second half every time. I think this is the nature with a lot of sort of high-intensity, smaller teams. They come out really, really hard at the start of the game and really hard at the beginning of the second half. And especially they felt that the game was still maybe within reach there at 2-1. And, but then give it, give it 20 minutes, Barca weathers a storm, and then the pressing team is tired by minute 68, by sort of six, between 60 and 70. And once the team tires, those opportunities will open up. And also, I think these are the kind of games that I like to call a wasted worry. People like to worry about all very minor, specific things that happen. But going forward, there's nothing in this game that really points to a big, long-term worry, in my opinion, unless anyone else has a different take. Yeah, I'm going to have to uh, disagree with you there, Enrique. I think that those those 20 minutes where Ryu is really... Um, attacking and pinning Barca deep within their own half. I think these show that they're they're more um, serious structural issues that are that are um, that are plaguing the team right now. And and you know you 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 see that in a minute or two that the quality of Barca's players is able to quickly turn things around. But I think that um, the, this was a serious um, display of Rayo's attacking intent and just being a lot better than Barcelona at, at, at that stage in time. But didn't we see this all last season? We, we had these conversations over and over, especially in the fall of last season, where Barca would win the game, there would be a 20-minute spell that was hard on them, and somebody would say, okay, we have no midfield, the team is in disarray, Lucho has no idea what he's doing, and we won on individual brilliance. Which is, which is, not, to, which is not to discredit your point that, that there were flaws there, I'm just, I think the team is tired and has a bunch of people injured. And as long as they're weathering the storm and winning, yes, there are issues, but I don't think it's really cause for major concern that we can expect a a large amount of those to even themselves out over time when key players start returning. If I may say something, Eric, I think that last season we had a few more alternatives on the bench. Uh, Lucho could execute a bit, uh, a few more ideas and um, and change the the way the game was going, like halfway through or at minute 75. But if um, this season we're lacking on the bench, we're lacking in uh, diversity of players, and I think that could be uh, that could be a reason to worry. And on that note, we're going to wrap up on the Rio game and come back with maybe one of those possible alternatives that could happen in the winter break. talk about everybody's favorite stuff fantasy football the international break gave the journalists if you want to call some of them that at the spanish dailies time to make up some stories even though we all have a suspicion that there is a quite a bit of legitimacy in these rumors that luis enrique is interested in bringing nolito to barca during the january break to accommodate for the slightly stretched squad and perhaps because the youngsters Munir and Sandro haven't 
taken their opportunity by the horns. So, let's start with Aldo first. Would you like to see Nolito coming in in January, and do you think he's good enough? Um, yeah, I do think he's good enough, but I don't think it, his um, signing gets to the heart of the issue. Um, we'll have reinforcements by then, and as we know, Alex Vidal can play up front. Um, and I, I don't, I don't think it is um, one of the most pressing issues. Um, but I do think that he is definitely good enough, and it would be up to him in terms of if he would accept that Pedro role and not have as many minutes. I think he'd, he'd definitely be willing to accept that. It seems he has a really positive attitude and is willing to take that substitute role. My question is, would he be able to maintain the same level while only playing maybe 20 minutes off the bench each game? And we saw we saw the effect that reduced minutes and lower confidence had on Pedro over the years, and I think it's, it's not a guarantee at all that the form Nolito has had with Celta Vigo or in his Spain cameo would translate if he were sitting on the bench for most of the time at Barca. Didn't we see a photo of Nolito holding up one of the dailies concerning his transfer rumors and giving a thumbs up or something like that? I didn't see that, but yeah. that's awesome. If true. Could be. <laughs> yeah, we had it on the website even. Okay, yeah. So that's that's evidence that Nolito will definitely take the role. And it would make sense in, in, because, of course, he grew up in the system and was discarded rather early versus Pedro, who came in at a relatively young age and went through all the major glory years. So I think if Barca come in for Nolito in January, he's going to absolutely take that and come to a club where he can make a real name for himself and play on the biggest stage. But I think Eric's point is what you have to be careful with is, is a guy like that going to be able to keep performing at the level we've seen him at Celta if he's not getting the minutes and he's also not getting that sort of star role where everyone is looking to you to create the chances and to make sure the team wins. What I think is positive about Nolito is that, of course, now he's 29 already, so he's matured into a player. While bringing it back to Manir and Sandro, these guys are basically 10 years behind him, and they'll probably need the necessary patience to ever become a player like Nolito. But if we would bring Nolito, would that pretty much signify the end of one of Sandro or Munir's careers at Barca, Aldo? Yeah, absolutely. I think that the Nolito signing would uh, reveal a lot about Luis Enrique's faith in Munir. Um, right now, I think Munir and Sandro are being used a bit interchangeably. Um, even in press conferences, uh, Luis Enrique kind of refers to them together and as much as injuries have permitted, he kind of plays them in the same role the last 20 minutes and plays them together. I, I don't think that um, that these players will be able to uh, both stay if Nolito does come. Hadi, do you have something to say about that? Um, just without, with regards to um, Nolito's desire to come, I think he really wants to be there uh, for two reasons. If you saw him with Barca B when Lucho was coach, um, there was this really uh, good relationship between both, and then they both met at Celta again and so on. And Nolito really loves the club. He loves the city. That's pretty well known about him. And I think if, he, if we really went calling for him, uh, he wouldn't think twice about it. I think selfishly, I also would prefer Nolito to not come for the good of Spain's team. I think he has a really good chance of getting into the 
Dudlowski's 2016 squad if he can if he keeps up his current form and is playing at Celta. And usually you would expect a transfer to Barca to sort of raise somebody's stake, but if he's not playing minutes, I'm not sure that will happen. Time for a little bit of music, and then we'll be back with our third part of the podcast, looking ahead at the matches coming up in midweek and over the weekend. listeners to the second episode of Total Podcast. We're not going to keep you for much longer. So ahead, we have a game at Bate Borisov in the Champions League, a team that can be a little bit tricky as Roma found out in the last match day. So Eric, how do you see the game potentially unfolding? I think these, these long trips in the Champions League to sort of Eastern Europe are often difficult for less for the sort of quality of the team you're facing and even just the environment. I think Bate are a solid team. They generally defend well and compactly. And I think just it's it's late October, it's getting cold. And I think just sort of Barca are going to show up and have to deal with the elements and also have to break down another parked bus, as it were, which isn't something we've had to deal with a lot this season so far. We've had teams that will sort of come out and get us. I think Bate will sit back a little more, and that will pose its dif- a different sort of challenge for a team that has been lacking in midfield. So my question for you guys is, who do you think would start in midfield, given that that's the position we're thinnest, and how is Lucho going to rotate? Yeah, um, I think uh, I think Lucho's going to go with the... Rakitic, uh, Sergi Roberto, and uh, and Busquets. Um, this has been. So, uh, this could be. So the same lineup we saw against Rio. Yeah, I think it would be the same lineup we saw yesterday. Maybe we could see Mascherano, um, but I think he's gonna go for the trio we saw yesterday. And then perhaps he's in rotation against Ibar. Ibar is an easier game, and we sort of need the points uh, more against uh, Bate. Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in. I think that we saw um, Mascherano being rested precisely because of this reason. I, I don't think that um, on paper these games look tough, but I think, you know, like Eric mentioned, this is an away, a difficult away Champions League game because of the environment. And um, Abar right now currently in sixth place, and they've been playing very well under new manager, Jose Luis Mendilibar, who um, last season coached Levante. So I think, um, you know, they're, they're, these next few games, we'll, we've, we'll see this sort of rotation. And, and I think that the, the midfield three against Bate will be, uh, like Hadi mentioned, Sergio Roberto, Busquets, and Rakitic, just because I don't think there's um, enough depth there to, tr- to really do anything else. And I don't think um, Luis Enrique will try anything New, like have like some have suggested, just because he hasn't shown any willingness to do that yet. So I do think we'll see that that midfield three, the same one that we saw against Rayo. Not to bring up a sore subject, but given that it is a midweek game and Barca B won't be playing, do you think that it's a possibility that Sergi Samper might come along for the ride? Uh oh. <laughs> 
Um, I hope, but I don't think that will happen. Maybe Gumbau, but not Sergi. Uh, I don't see either of them playing a role. Would we all agree that a draw at in Belarus would be an acceptable result? I think it's a it's a delicate line. I mean, Barca are still top of the table, but we've already drawn once away, and we still will have to face Leverkusen away in Germany, which I think will be a tougher match. So I think I think a win here is key, and anything less, you're towing the line of potentially being second. So to wrap up this second episode, we're just going to go around the table really quickly and get some predictions on how the results are going to go against Bate, Borisov, and Ibar over the weekend. Aldo, you go first. Uh, yeah, I think it'll be a, a win against Bate and a draw against um, Ibar. Hadi? I think we're, we're going to have a win-win, although one of them might take a little bit of grinding to... All right, Eric? I'm going to say 2-1 against Bate and 3-0 against Ibar. And I'm going to finish off being pretty much in agreement with Eric. I think we'll see a, a low draw or a low-scoring a low win in Belarus and a pretty comfortable win against Ibar over the weekend. All right, guys, thanks for being with us again. We are on iTunes, as we put on the website and sent over our social media channels. And otherwise, we're still waiting for Stitcher to give us approval, and we hope to be on there soon for all you Android listeners. All right, guys, see you next time.